into the hands of every individual is given a power for good or evil. To be different, you must think, feel, and act differently. Focus on your purpose, transcend boundaries, impact the world, alter from death to life. Well, good morning. Good to see y'all. How you doing? All right, put your hands together, clap a little bit, get your energy going, get the blood going. Uh, well, since you heard about uh, the reluctant granddaughter coming to hug Papa, I thought you should at least see her. So let's put her up on the screen. Where's she at? There she is. Now, I don't know about you, but that girl looks like she could be my daughter. Right? I'm just, is that blessing or what? Right? And she loves me now more than she does her gammy. Well, maybe not. All right. I want to talk to you today about day one. I was reading an article in a business journal about Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame. The first building that he had, he named day one. And it set the tone for the philosophy of his business. I hope today that you're not only going to get something spiritually out of this, but you're also going to get something that you can use in your own vocational life if you own a business or if you plan on starting a business or even if you work with someone, because the key to your life is day one. And I'm going to show you that in the Word of God. So Bezos said that day one always has to exist. In other words, we're always going to be in day one of startup mode at Amazon. And if we slip into day two, then we've slipped into process versus result. Part of the problem with Christianity in our lives is we get so accustomed to living the Christian life that we live in process instead of result. We're looking at our life, we're going, I'm going through all the motions, I'm doing all the right things, I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying, I'm going to church, I'm doing those things, but I'm not seeing different results that I want to see in my life. I'm not ushering in the kingdom or power the way that I really believe that God wants me to. I'm not seeing answers to my prayers the way I want to. And we think if we go through the process, all is going to be well, but the reality is God wants us to live every day as day one. In fact, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross how often? Every day. So if you take up the cross today, guess what you have to do tomorrow? You have to take up the cross. The next day, what do you do? You take up the cross because it's day one. I kind of went back in my mind when we started this church on day one and tried to remember some of the ingredients that kind of made it real to me and made it day one. And I wondered what would happen if we'd go back to some of those things? What would be the net effect? And one of the things we did was we took risks. You see, if it's day one, you take a risk because you don't have anything to look back on and try to preserve. We're so careful to preserve everything we've got that we don't take risks to have what we could have. So we took risks. Now, granted, when you don't have anything, a risk is easy. Amen. I mean, I got no money. Well, that's a risk. What's, what am I going to lose? Nothing. I got nothing, right? So you take a risk. But what happens is we get so complacent in our progress that we miss out 
on those moments of great breakthrough because we neglect risk in our life. Risk is a word that also describes the word faith. When you walk by faith, you walk by risk. You're a risk taker, aren't you? You know, the Bible uses the word, Jesus said, you're gonna be my witnesses. Do you know that's the Greek word, martus? It's where we get our word martyr. In other words, if you're not living out your life in such a way that you are being martyred, that means persecuted for your faith, then you're not being a witness for me. If ever, be, Beware when all men speak well of you, the scriptures say. In other words, if everybody's liking what you're doing, you're not running against the grain, then you're missed out on what the cross says. It's a folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God unto salvation. It is offensive to be a Christian. That doesn't mean you should be an offensive Christian. You see the difference? You don't have to be just obnoxious in order to get the kingdom of God across. You need to be supernaturally natural in what you do and what you say so that people are attracted to the Spirit of God in you, but there's something they can relate to you in this natural world you live. People that say, you know, I don't have any problems and say praise the Lord all the time, run. Run from them as fast as you can. There's something wrong with them, okay? Because that's not real life. Real life is in this world you will have tribulations. The Bible said that. You will have that. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. That's Bible. So in other words, you're not going to get out of that. If somebody recruited you into the kingdom of God, that is salvation, told you once you get saved, everything, all your problems will go away, they were wrong. Would anyone testify? Right? Some of you came in that way. God loves you. has a wonderful plan for your life. And it will get more complicated. Huh? Can you affirm that today? Can you put your hands together and say, I know what you're talking about, Pastor. I have lived that my life. That doesn't mean you stop persevering in the kingdom. It means you go back to day one. Another thing that we learned in day one around here was we invited everybody. Everybody was welcome. Whether they fit into this church start or not, they were welcome. Whether we liked them or not, we invited them. Sing, didn't care. Rich, poor, didn't care. We just invited them. It's like a parable in the kingdom. It says, you know, when you go out, you invite them to come to the, to the table and the banquet table, and, and the, the servants went out, and they said, Lord, they, they didn't want to come. And then go out and invite more. And then go to the highways, the byways. And then it says, compel them to come in. And that word compel in the Greek is a word that means to drag in without, uh, against their will. We think that if they don't say yes on the first note, that we should just leave them alone. No, you have learned the fine art from your mother of nagging, have you not? Now just apply it to the kingdom of God. Hey, are you going to come to church this way? Well, you know, I'm busy. Hey, my car's broke. I'll come by and pick you up, right? I don't know what to do about the kids. Oh, we have, day, we have care for the kids. And you just, you take away all the excuses because people without Jesus don't know what they're missing, and if you leave them to themselves, you have left them to separation from God when you could be the very tool to bring them into the kingdom of God. And that was what you were called to do, to get results. Not to just live your life, say, I'm just so happy I'm going to heaven when I die. That's boring. That's boring if that's your Christian life. That's a boring Christian life. 
An exciting Christian life is I live for a purpose and mission to bring people into the kingdom of God, to transform society wherever I go, to stop things that are evil, and to promote things that are good. That's why we exist. Are you resonating with this? The more you talk, the better I preach. Are you with me? The less you talk, the longer I preach. Oh, now I got your attention, amen? All right, so let, let me give you a couple other things. Also, we, what we learned was prayer. Prayer was so critically important that we could not pray enough because we didn't have anything else to rely on. When you get other things to rely on, you stop praying. It's true. Things are going well, why pray? Might mess it up. What is it about us? The other thing that was really important was expectation. We just expected God to do something. Do you know if every day is day one, you expect something? What if you lived your marriage as if this was day one of your marriage? George is getting excited down there. What if it was day one? You remember day one? Ladies, look at your husband right now if you've got one. You remember day one? Was he more sexy then? Yes or no? Just shout it out. You're afraid. One woman said yes. The rest of you are afraid. What was it about day one? How about remember day one of your new job? This is the greatest job in the world. I can't believe I got this job. That other job was really no good at all, but I got this new job, and it's day one, and then three weeks later, you go, I miss my old job. I can't believe I got this new job. Nobody's nice to me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I just got a little bitty raise. I should have stayed where I was. Am I wrong? See, the grass is always greener, but wait till you get the water bill. Why not stay in your own field and turn on the sprinkler? Water the ground you're in, dwell in the land, and cultivate righteousness, Psalm 37 says. Then delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's just kingdom principles. So if you live every day with expectation, hey, I expect God's going to do something today. Guess what? He's going to do something. I'm looking for it now instead of, I don't know what I'm going to do. God hadn't done any miracles in my life, and I don't even know how long, and I'm just living out my life. I'm going through process. Then get out of process and get into result. Jesus did not send disciples out to operate in process. Hey, just go out and live a normal Christian life and love everybody and be kind to everybody. He says, no, why don't you go out there, find some people that have demons and cast them out. Why don't you find some people that have leprosy and cleanse them? Why don't you find some dead people and raise them from the dead? I mean, think about it. This is the commission. It was a result-oriented commission. What happened with Jeff Bezos, he just stumbled on a kingdom principle, and it works. Every day you look at result. Every day is day one. If you're living in day two, you're going into complacency. This is so good. I mean, really, I didn't say it, so I can say it's really good. It's not original. I just get to be the, the server for the day. Amen? Okay, now, let's go on here a little, and look a little deeper. So, I want to set up the story, and I'm going to set it up with a visual here. There's a map. Israel is in the land of Egypt, and they're there suffering. They're under the bondage of the Pharaoh, and they're literally slaves. All they're doing is working for the, for the Pharaoh. Day in and day out, day in and day out, all they're doing, they're just going through the motions. Life has no purpose. Life has no meaning. Life just is what it is. 
All of a sudden, Moses comes up on the scene. He says to the Pharaoh, hey, you need to let my people go, because if you don't, there's going to be some bad stuff coming down. And oh yeah, like what? And all of a sudden begin the plagues. Plague one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Finally, the Pharaoh said, I've had enough. You guys get out of here. And, and by the way, God says, before you leave, go to the Egyptians and tell them to give you all the silver and gold they have. Plunder the Egyptians is the exact word in Scripture. So here are the Jews. They go to the door after the 10th plague. Everybody's sick of the Jews. They want them out of town. Knock on the door. Hey, um, could I have all your gold and silver? They say, sure, anything. Just get out of town. This is what happened. Get out of town, right? Now, what were they going to do with that gold and silver? God had a plan because God always has a, has a plan. When you have a problem, he always takes your problem and he gives you provision so that he can fulfill the plan that he has for you. So they would use that to build the tabernacle and later the temple. That's where all that gold came from. They didn't just, just show up. They plundered Egyptians for it. So anyway, all of a sudden they said, get out of town. So they leave and they follow this red line right here. Now, that's the Red Sea that black kind of uh, stripe there, if you can't read the words on it. So they leave, and they get out of town, and they get so far, and all of a sudden, the people start to gripe against Moses. And they said, I cannot believe you brought us into the wilderness. Because see, they're living in day two now, not day one. If you're griping, you're living in day two. You're not taking up your cross. So they're living in day two. They start griping. You, you brought us out in the wilderness to kill us, Moses. I can't believe you got us out here and got us into this mess. We're gonna, our bones are going to lay here in the desert. We're not even going to get a proper burial. And that, then they hit this point of turn back. Let's just turn back. God begins to work some miracles. They go, okay, let's go on. And then all of a sudden they head. There's only one way down, and the Wadi Watir is the only way that they can go down to the Red Sea. There's only one road. So they take the road. Now what's not on the map is right up about turn back, there's another little fortress called uh, Middol, and Middol is a, is a fortress of the Egyptians. So in other words, they can't go north. There's only one road south, so they're going to go down to this great word down here. Anybody want to try to pronounce that one? Pi, hi, Haroth. How did I do? You wouldn't know if I said it right or not, would you? I don't even know if I said it right. Let's be honest. Okay, so, but what's interesting about it, you know what that name means? The place of liberty. Now watch this, guys. Your place of liberty is when the enemy is on your heel and an uncrossable barrier is in front of you. That's your place of liberty. You think your place of liberty is when there's no problems. No, that's your place of complacency. So God directs them down to the place of liberty and he says, now cross the Red Sea. Now the Israelites are griping again. They're saying, I can't believe it. We were going to die in the desert of starvation. Now here we see the chariots coming of Egypt. Now we stand in front of impassable water. How are we going to do this? And they complain to Moses. Moses doesn't know what to do. So he goes to God. He goes, God, all the people are complaining. They're whining against me. He says, why are you coming to me? Tell the people to cross the Red Sea. You know, sometimes it's not about this long time in prayer. It's just doing what God already told you to do. If you don't do what God told you to do, you can't see the miracle that God has for you in the days ahead. Tell the people to go forward. So he stands there, tells the people to go forward. He takes a step into the water. The water's part. They walk across as on dry ground. All right, now that's the miracle we have here. Now watch what happens. I'm going to 
draw a little bit of a map here. This is the, the Red Sea here. This is the place of liberty. Egyptians are on their heels. They cross over. The first place they go is the waters of Mara, which means bitterness. God takes them over the miracle. They think everything is good. Now we're living in day two on the other side of the Red Sea. They go to drink some water, and all the waters are bitter. They can't drink them. So what do they do? Anybody got a clue? They gripe, right? They gripe. Let's say it. They gripe. Oh, you, you bad gripers. All right, let's try it again. They what? They gripe. Anybody here ever griped? No, that's good. Lie too. All right, you're guilty of both things, lying and griping. Okay, so they cross over. They drink the water. They try to drink the waters of marrow. It's so bitter they can't drink them. They, what do they do? They gripe again. They complain, and God says to Moses something very unusual. He shows them a tree. He shows Moses a tree. And he says to Moses, here's the waters of Mara. Got a few waves on it. He says, put the tree in the water. It was a picture of the cross. And it said, when the tree was cast into the waters, the waters became sweet. The only way your waters can become sweet is the cross of Calvary. It was a picture of redemption. It was a picture of God's future. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me because your waters are going to be bitter without me. They would go the next place to Elam. It was a place of water, abundant water. Now they have all the water they need. They don't need to throw a tree in it, and guess what they do? They no, they don't pray. They what? Starts with a G, ends with a P. Let's try it again. They what? They gripe. Why are they griping? God just worked a miracle. The bitters of water, the water turned sweet, and now they go to the place of Elam, the, the place of abundance, and they gripe. They say, we're hungry. Got no food. So God says, all right, we're going to send some bread from heaven. He sends the bread from heaven and all this, this white stuff called manna, which learned in the Hebrew means what is it? You ever had dinner like that? What is this, right? Okay, so he brings all this bread. They eat the bread. They're, they're all satisfied. They go, this is amazing. This is amazing. The, Jesus said, I am the bread that comes from. I am the bread that comes from heaven, right? You see, that was a picture of the cross. It was a picture, a picture of sustaining life through the bread because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? Okay, that's the setup for the sermon. Let's get started. Okay. Three options. You got three options. Option number one is you can stay where you are. Some of you walked in here with stuff. Some of you came in with bigger stuff than, other, than smaller stuff. You just have stuff. So you have a choice. You can live and stay where you are, which is bondage. Now, it may not be a big problem. You've learned to handle it. it actually, you know, you've kind of even begun to enjoy your discomfort. You even tell people about how bad your life is. And you find pleasure in telling people how bad your life is. My life sucks. Oh, yes, we know that. Tell us more. Because everyone's curious about sucky lives. Am I wrong? Right? And then you become an expert. You go to school, you get a PhD in psychology, and you are an expert in telling people how your life sucks. And then when they see you coming, you're surprised that they run. Oh, no, here comes psychology person. I'm out of here. 
It's in the Bible somewhere. I don't know where. Or you can make a decision just to go halfway out. So that means that I'm getting out of Egypt, but I'm not crossing the Red Sea. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find myself trapped in the wilderness. I know I don't want that, and I want that, but I'm not willing to pay that price. So I'm going to stay over here in the wilderness, trapped between bad and good. And that even becomes comforting. Well, at least I'm out of that mess. Yeah, but you don't have a victory yet. You're not living in this abundance that God wants you to live in. The third option is you just get all the way out. You find freedom. You find freedom in the land of promise. And guess how long freedom lasts? One day. Because you only can live in day one. All the freedom I got is today's freedom. I jump over here into day two. I lost it. Because this has to be my day one. I have to start all over, take up my cross, follow Jesus, day one of my life. Does that make sense? See, people say, I'm just going to, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to sin again. The rest of my life I'm committing to God. You know what the name for that is in the Hebrew? Dumb. No, you're not going to do that. Jesus never intended you for, to, for you to do that. He wants you to live in day one all of your life. So let's just say this together. It's time to get out of my mess. I just changed that one word. Look on the screen. Let's repeat it. It's time to get out of my mess. He said, I don't have a mess. Then you have delusion. Everybody's got a little mess. Amen? If you don't think you have a mess, ask your neighbor. Ask your friend. Ask, your, you know, ask somebody. They will confirm your mess because you talk about your mess. Messes are never silent. You walk into a room, you can tell if it's a messy room. Am I wrong? You walk into a room, if it's messy, you go, my, this room is messy. You walk into a room that's not messy, you don't go, wow, this room is, is just so nice and neat and clean. No, it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be clean and neat, not supposed to be messy. So it's a shock. Why are parents shocked when their kids' rooms are messy? They're supposed to be messy. That's what kids do. That way they learn the fine skill of correcting their children when their rooms are messy. See, guilt is generational. It's passed on from family to family. It's good. It's all, this is all good stuff. All right. Focus on results and not process. So what you have to do is say, what's my result today? My result could be I'm going to tell somebody about Christ. My result today is I'm going to live a stronger Christian life. My result today is I'm going to pray and see the hand of God move. My result, what is my result? Not my process. Don't get stuck in the process. And then make decisions quickly. Do you know the studies have been done, and they're, they're almost across the board unanimous. The longer you take to make a decision, the worse decision it is. You want to read something about it? Read the, the book uh, Blink. He does a, amazing studies on this subject. Because what happens? You say, I think I need to do this, and then you begin to delay you either lose the opportunity or you add in stuff that is going to complicate the problem and not get you to the solution. You know, there's something called a gut response. All of us have it. I, I kind of do this impromptu survey among men, and I said, how many times is your gut instincts right? And guys will usually say about 90%, but most of them want to say 100. It just sounds a little bit too proud. Look back in your life. How many times was your gut response correct? You're probably going to say the most of the time it was, but then you let reason, logic enter in, and you messed up what God had put inside of you in the first place. 
Because I have a theory. I have a theory that the gut feeling is something that's a, a residual left over from the fall of man, that when man was in the Garden of Eden without the Holy Spirit, he had the ultimate gut feeling. He, had, he was in the presence of God. He didn't have to be indwelled with God in that very moment until later because of the fall, and there was something about him that was very unique. But the fall of man caused that to diminish, and, that, and the rational mind jumped in there instead of the spiritual mind, and we couldn't function the way God wanted us to function. I don't say rely completely on your gut. I say take that as one element along with the Word of God. Does the Word of God say it's okay? Can you validate in the Word of God? That's your first step. What does my gut tell me? Step number two. Number three, what do wise counsels teach, teach me? Who are the people I have around me that won't tell me what I want to hear but tell me what I need to hear? See, if you, always, if you always ask the same people the same things about what you want to do, you'll always get the same answer. They'll go, that sounds great to me. It could be the worst decision of your entire life, but because they love you, they've lost objectivity. I want somebody to look me in the eye, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, and then make me defend it. If I can't defend it, I need to drop it. Are you with me on this? All right, this is good stuff. Even if I'm saying it, it's good stuff. Amen? All right, let's go out here. Okay, get ready to cross over. So you're standing at the Red Sea. You said, I ain't going back, and I'm not staying in the wilderness. I'm getting ready to cross over. So let's say that together. Get ready to cross over. Are you ready to cross over? Some of you are. Are you ready to cross over? All right, that's good. All right, let's go to Exodus 14, verse 13. Do not be afraid. Right. Are you kidding me? Why does the Scripture say that? I got Egypt on behind me. I got the Red Sea in front of me, and God says don't be afraid. I don't know about you. That's bad advice. If any time I should be afraid, God, it's right now because I have, an, I have a barrier in front of me, and I have an enemy behind me, and God says, but did you forget where you are? You're at the place of liberty. You're standing on the shores of liberty. You can't see victory unless you've got an enemy behind you and a barrier in front of you. You can never see it. And he says, just uh, don't be afraid and stand still. Really? It's bad enough. Don't be afraid. I'd like to go hide somewhere or at least get at the back so when the Egyptians start plowing through every, all the Israelites, I'm the last guy standing. Stand still. When you stand still and let God work, look what it says. It says, and see the salvation of the Lord. I want you to see what I'm getting ready to do. You can't see what I'm getting ready to do when you're always moving. You can't see what I'm getting ready to do when you're afraid. Because you're so caught up in your fear, you don't even know what I'm up to. He says, it says, which he will accomplish for you today. Not tomorrow, today. Not yesterday, today. God always lives in today. It's day one. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. I like that. I like my enemies all wiped out. I never have to look at them again. But that's just today enemies. you got tomorrow enemies. Oh, you're going to see those again, but you're going to have to stand still. Don't be afraid and see what God's going to do. You get a fresh set of enemies every day. Good news. Amen? Some of you don't think that's good news. But you see, without it, you couldn't ever grow as a Christian. You'd, you'd always get caught up in the process. I'm a good Christian. Why is this happening to me? Because God doesn't like you being a good Christian. He wants you to be fired up, sold out, committed, faith 
moving, mountain moving, personal, and you can't do that without conflict. I don't like it. I pray for no conflict in my life all the time. God never hears that prayer. I said, God, I, love you. I just want to be good today and nothing will go wrong. And then he sends me something. I go, what's up? He goes, I didn't agree to that prayer. That's your prayer. That's not my prayer. Okay, watch out. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. When God is fighting, let him do it. You ever notice how we try to help the Holy Spirit? You see God start moving in somebody. You want to jump in there, and he's convicting them of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. You jump in. Yeah, and you know another thing that the Lord told me? He doesn't need your help in that moment. That's his job. Verse 13, we see something about faith here. When faith is not exercised, the promises of God will bring no comfort. You see, the promises of God only find comfort to you when you're operating in faith. Otherwise, they're just copy. They're just narrative. It's not moving you anywhere. And so what we understand is faith must be tested in order for us to learn the sufficiency of God. God is sufficient. How do you know? Because I was in a mess. I stood still. I watched God, and he came through. That's how I know God is sufficient. So what do you got to do? You got to refuse fear. You got to stand still. In the presence of your trial, stand still. Unbelief creates and magnifies problems. Did you hear me? Unbelief creates and it magnifies problems. Small problems become big problems when you lack faith. When you have big faith, they become small because now you've got a God that's bigger than your problem. In the other way, you've got a problem that's bigger than your God. That's why you throw up your hands and say, I don't know what I'm going to do, as if you could do it anyway. What you need to say is, I can't wait to see what God is going to do. Is that different? Thank you, all my Latino friends, for being excited. I can't even imagine. We were, we were asked to come pastor a church years ago in Holland, and I can't even imagine, because I'm Dutch, I can't even imagine the emotional low level that would exist a bunch of white Dutch people. You know, ask them to dance. I mean, it's like, no, we can't do that. I'm sorry. When you allow your emotions to engage with your mind, you open up a, an avenue for God to speak to you. When you close down the emotional life, you can't function as a, as a complete human being because your mind, will, and emotions, all three have to function in conjunction with one another. Faith will cause you to rise above your problems. So see what God was going to do. It's always day one. Let's look at this. It's always day one. Exodus chapter 14, verse 30 through 31 it says, so the Lord saved Israel. What does it say? Say it together. When? That day. It doesn't, he doesn't promise to save him tomorrow. He says, I'm going to save you today. I'm going to get you out of this mess today, out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, and Israel saw the great work which the Lord had in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord, believed the Lord, his servant Moses. So here's what I want you to understand. Tomorrow has to be day one for you. I know I've said it, but I'm going to keep saying it. It has to be day one for you. You need fresh faith every day because faith will propel you into all sorts of opportunity. I'm not talking just about the spiritual realm here. I'm talking about every dimension of your life can, be, can flourish in, when faith 
is flourishing in your life. But faith, when it comes, it comes in layers. Think about your faith like layers. You can't just go from a little bit of faith to giant faith in one moment. That faith has to build as you test God, as you trust God. And think about layers. And so each layer is connected to the previous layer. And what you want to do is you want to be able to have the kind of life that has the kind of faith to take the big problems. God's not going to give you the biggest problems when your faith is small. You say, that's good, because he knows you can't handle it. When you're getting big problems, then that means God knows you can handle it. It says something about your spiritual life. You say, I got a big problem, Pastor. That's good. Now you got a big God to, to jump into the game with you. Increasing your capacity to dream and to believe and to access the power of God in your life is all part of what God has for you in day one. I want to believe. I want to dream. I want to expect. It's all in day one. But God doesn't place limits on your faith. He says, take your faith as far as you can. I just know there's limits, but I'm not going to put a limit on it. I just know there's limits because you haven't, you haven't had enough journey with me in this faith world. Because here's the truth, that yesterday's value diminishes over time. That's why you saw a miracle in the past, but you don't talk about it anymore because you're wanting for a miracle today. Hey, I love the miracles of the past. I love all that God's done in my past, but I want a today God, amen? I want a today faith. I want God living in that. And the great work of God, what it does is it prepares you for a great work. It prepares you for something. When you see the great work of God like the spilling of the sea, God, he's preparing you for something else. So let's review the options. Option number one is I can stay where I am and I can live in bondage. You came in here with whatever you have, you're going to leave here with the same stuff. You didn't drop anything. You didn't lose anything. You're comforted in your discomfort. Option two is you can go halfway out. I know what I don't want. So you might have come in in bondage, but you say, you know what, I'm, I'm getting out of that mess, but I'm not going into this freedom. That's progress. But ultimately, I think what we want to do is get out of that mess and enter in to this all-the-way-out situation where there's freedom in the land of promise. Marcel Proust said, the voyage of discovery is not seeking new landscapes, but having new eyes. So you can have new eyes to see what God's doing in your life today. Amen? Now watch this. The strategy of the enemy is threefold. Self-deception. He doesn't have to deceive you. He can just get you to deceive you. Second one is hopelessness. I've tried that. It doesn't work. That's hopelessness. Third thing he can do is he can exercise counterfeit control. So the things that are controlling you are not the things of God. It's your mindset. It's your emotions. It's the people you work with. It's your lack of progress. It's your dreams falling at your feet instead of rising up above your head. All of those things. Guess what? Stand still. Do not be afraid. See what God can do. Amen? I want you to stand with me right now. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. I want you right now to identify a mess in your life. It doesn't have to be big, but it's a mess that comes to your mind, first thing to your mind. A mess in your life, it could be a lack of finances, it could be a relational conflict, it could be a lack of a job, it could, it could be anything, but just identify one thing in your life right now. Now I want to ask you something. 
Are you going to come out of bondage? Are you going to go halfway? Are you going to go all the way with that? In other words, are you going to trust God with that? Are you going to live results or process-oriented? You're going to say, I've lived with this so long, I, I, I can handle it. At least I know what it is. Hey, that's no fun, right? I want you to give it to God. Just give it over to him right now. So as you got your heads bowed, I want you just to pray something like this. Just pray it out loud. You can repeat after me. Dear Lord, take my mess. I put it on the fire of your altar. May out of it come a holy smoke that rises up to God and is a sweet savor unto him. Propel my life forward as I stand still I cast away fear, and I see what God can do. Amen. Now, we're going to sing together. I'm, I really believe it's important for you to really sing out when we sing things like this, and then sing out your praises to God and your requests to God. So what that would look like is they're leading us in this worship song. You're just shouting out, Lord, just take this. Lord, God bless, God bless this situation. God, uh, I give you my mouth. Just speak it out as you're singing the song. Because what you're doing is you're proclaiming with your mouth what you're believing in your heart. Amen? Let's sing.